0: Bonjour et bienvenue. Welcome to City Breaks Paris, episode 16, Le Shopping. I speak as not really a shopper, but even I know that Paris is a shopper's paradise. Something that stuck in my mind when I was researching the episode is the fact that one of the very first things the Germans did in 1940 when they arrived to occupy the city of Paris is they went shopping. From the generals down to the soldiers, they set off to the shops when they weren't on duty and bought stockings and perfumes to send home to their wives and girlfriends. Even in wartime, they were aware that shopping was the thing to do when you're in Paris. And certainly today, it has everything to offer, from the earthy goodness of the food markets, to all those wonderful little independent shops, run with such pride and such panache and such Frenchness. The specialist shops, fashion, chocolate, art, etc. The massive world-famous department stores as classy as those anywhere in the world. I'm sure the French would say classier. And I've given myself just half an hour or so to do it all justice. I'd like to start with the markets because they are so Parisian, something that everybody notices. Even if you're not self-catering, maybe not buying any food during your stay, you won't be able to miss those outdoor markets that seem to be in every little corner of the city. I read somewhere that there are in fact 75 outdoor markets in Paris because Parisians like to shop local and they expect to find the very best seasonal produce just round the corner from their flat because, being French, what else would they want to eat? Patricia Wells, writing in the 1980s in her book The Paris Cookbook, wrote a lovely description of a French market that she visited. She wrote, I marveled at the array of gorgeous, impeccably displayed fruits and vegetables, fish, meats and poultry. And she went on to describe a certain down-to-earth attitude to food that perhaps you don't see in Anglo-Saxon markets quite so often. So she wrote, I was shocked to see rabbits on display, hanging by their still-attached furry feet, and an entire wild boar, head, feet and all, carefully draped over a little table outside a butcher's shop. I was awed by all the sounds I heard, as vendors hawked and cajoled, teased and shouted. Alex Caprales is another author who wrote about the sheer delight of French markets and the wonderful food that you could find. This comes from his book, Sound Bites, about his touring life with the pop group France Ferdinand, which seemed to focus quite heavily on all things culinary. So visiting a market, he wrote, Champignons, wild like delicate orchids, tumbled from the wooden boxes. Monsters of the deep with claws akimbo, lay spread on ice. Hairs hung from hooks over coils of sausage and chickens that were thick-boned from healthy life. Fromagerie oozed their heady pungency. Patisserie seduced me with a sweet scent of tart, a crumb of which could exhaust your taste buds for a week. And then there's The Sweet Life in Paris, a book written by the chef David Leibovitz, who waxes very eloquent about the delights of a fruit stall in summer. He finds tight clusters of dewy grapes, lush ruby-red strawberries, mounds of plump burla cherries with their perky stems, and sun-dappled apricots fresh from Provence. And he writes about how the simple fact of walking round a French market inspires him to go home and cook. So, for example, when he sees the tiny Mirabelle, those sweet little plums you can't wait to get home and stew into the best jam you've ever tasted, you just know that it's going to be not long at all from the shop to the cook. You may feel, especially if you don't speak very much French, that it's all a bit of a closed book. You don't know how to get the best out of all these wonderful opportunities to indulge yourself in lovely food. And there are a number of writers that I came across who give us advice on just that. So, for example, Michael Booth, writing in his book Sacré Cordon Bleu, gives us the advice that really, if you're going to do some shopping in Paris for food, it's a good idea to go to the same market and the same stall regularly, because the stallholder will begin to see you as one of his customers and take you seriously and give you the benefit of his very good advice. French stallholders are very much of the opinion that everything should be eaten in perfect condition, and they're very willing to give you some advice on how to achieve that. So Michael Booth describes buying a melon, he handed it over to the stallholder, and was promptly asked when he was planning to eat it. When he replied, well, at the weekend, the stallholder, quote, sniffed the melon, shook his head, and swapped it for another. That melon was going to be in perfect condition on the weekend day that Michael Booth wanted to enjoy it. Likewise, he describes buying some Camembert, and when told that he wanted it for a few days' time, the stallholder took over and, inspected half a dozen, squeezing them and kneading them with the serious intent of a reflexologist, probing for a wonky metatarsal. And then, perhaps, if you want to try and get into doing things the French way, Rule number two might be, don't be afraid to be quite demanding. The French want their food to be perfect, bought at just the right time, to choose exactly the right thing from the vast array on display, and they're not afraid to say so. So again from The Sweet Life in Paris by David Leibovitz, here's a lovely discussion that he overheard in a volaille, so a poultry shop, where he was behind a French housewife in the queue who was quite determined to get exactly what she needed and if that meant asking a few searching questions and keeping everybody in the queue behind her waiting, well, that was fine. This is Paris. So here's a little extract from what she said to the shopkeeper. The task in hand is buying exactly the right chicken for a recipe that she's planning. So this is what she said. Is that poulade in the case going to make a more flavourful bouillon than the poulet fermier in the window? Could that chicken on the left be exactly the same size as the one next to it? Is it really the same price? Can you weigh them both and check? Do you have others in the back? You get the picture. It's fine to seek perfection. And another piece of advice, a bit harder to follow, comes from a book called The Lollipop Shoes by Joanne Harris, in which she's talking about shops in Montmartre and the fact that some of them are well known to the locals and others really rather left for tourists and, by the way, not quite so good. So she writes, The rules are strict, though unwritten. Some places are for outsiders only, like the boulangerie patisserie on the Place de la Galette with its Art Deco mirrors, and coloured glass, and Baroque piles of macaroons. Locals go to the Rue des Trois Frères, to the cheaper, plainer boulangerie, where the bread is better and the croissant are baked fresh every day. Next then, a word about some of the little shops all over Paris which are such a delight with their exclusive range of treasures. You very possibly won't be shopping in most of them, but you certainly can go and have a look. So if you go, for example, to the Place Vendôme, you can feast your eyes on the array of very expensive jeweller shops clustered around the Ritz Hotel. A wander along the Champs-Élysées will remind you just how many high-end exclusive fashion shops are clustered in a very small space. Think Dior, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, Givenchy, Yves Saint-Laurent, They're all there. Perhaps you want to head over to the area around the Madeleine and look at some of the gourmet food shops. Edia, the mustard specialists. Fauchan for those exquisite little jars of foie gras or jam. And then the one that we have probably all heard of, the chocolate shop, the pastry shop, La Durée. They're there by the Madeleine too, in their original version, but they do have little outlets in some of the posh department stores as well. Most famous, of course, for their macaroons, those dainty little cross between a biscuit and a meringue, which I've heard referred to as being, quote, the Chanel of desserts, piled high in all those pretty colours, an art form really, flavoured with all kinds of things, the predictable, raspberry, strawberry, chocolate, and the less predictable, lime and ginger, or bitter chocolate, or even java pepper. And marketing-wise, they do know what they're doing, so their products are sold in those lovely little gilt boxes, and they make a point of releasing a new collection each season, new flavours, just like the fashion designers do with their haute couture. It might not be the greatest value, but you could pop in and buy just a very small box, or stop off in their very chic Salon de thé, which actually is in the history books as having been the first public drinking spot in Paris where women could go unaccompanied. So that's something that they've achieved for sure. It's very difficult to do justice to the vast array of specialist shops in Paris, but just by way of example, let's think chocolate for a moment. Chocolate is very much associated with Paris, brought, it's believed, first in 1615, because Louis XIII married a Spanish princess, and Spain, of course, having all those ships travelling the world and bringing home exotic products, was the first European country to indulge in chocolate. But as soon as it arrived in France, it was very popular, and a generation or two later, in 1659, King Louis XIV, who else, appointed the first chocolatier to the court, made sure he had a little shop conveniently close to the Louvre, and now there's a whole collection of very high-end chocolate shops that you can indulge in. I found an excellent article on this very topic on a website named Bonjour Paris. Just to give you a flavour, I'll mention just a few of the ten, yes ten, very posh chocolate shops that this article takes you on a tour of. So they start with one called La Mère de la Famille, which is Paris's oldest chocolaterie, the oldest one remaining, dating from 1761. Then we can head off to La Manufacture de Chocolat, where Alain Ducasse, otherwise known as the King of French Fine Dining, offers a whole selection of all sorts of different chocolates. The author saying her favourites are the Praliné à l'ancienne, so the old-fashioned ones, the traditional ones, which she describes as having a variety of caramelised almonds and hazelnuts. And particularly to recommend is the hazelnut praline, a salty sweet slice of heaven, according to the article, available in, wait for it, 44 different flavours. Then there's an institution called Pralus, run by one François Pralus, who's always been a dab hand at selecting the best beans and who in fact more recently has bought his own plantation in Madagascar. And the advice here is, don't leave the shop without trying his famous pastry, the Praluline, now celebrating over 50 years in the making. If you want something more unusual, try Pierre Marcolini, where the unusual flavours on offer are said to include blackcurrant, pepper, sandalwood and oak, and where you can buy a box known as the Savoir du Monde, flavours of the world, containing chocolate from seven different regions. And then perhaps the king of chocolate making currently in Paris, Patrick Roger, Famous not just for the tastes, flavours, textures that he produces, but also for his chocolate sculptures, some of which are said to be 80 kilos in weight. So if you're wandering past that window, definitely stop and look. And I noticed in the comments below the article, somebody had written, quote, Patrick Arget is a modern-day Willy Wonka. He sculpts orangutans and lions in chocolate. His chocolates for sale are delicious little works of art in themselves. So if the budget doesn't run to a massive chocolate orangutan, perhaps it does run to a couple of delicious little mouthfuls in lovely packaging. And just to underline this very Parisian idea of small shops exclusively devoted to something or other, I found a printout from a French guidebook to Paris, where one double page is entitled Paris des boutiques très spécialisées, Paris of the very specialised shops. And there's a whole lot of information about where you should go to buy your batterie de cuisine, your cooking equipment. The answer to that conundrum is to a shop called Des Lurins, which apparently dates from 1820. But if you wish to specialise in patisserie, there's a separate shop just for that. Somewhere called Morin, also dating from the early 19th century, where you can buy the very best, matériel de patisserie, so equipment for making patisserie. I think next time I'm in Paris, I will seek it out and buy a Madeleine tin, even though currently I have no idea how to make Madeleine. And just to finish, one of their other recommendations is to go through Halles and look out particularly for one of the very old-fashioned fishmongers, the ones which still sell their wares from little wooden stalls. And they're run by the descendants of the people who, in the 19th century, used to travel through the night from the Normandy coast to Paris to bring the very freshest fish and shellfish. Another very Parisian shopping experience is to seek out the Passage, the little covered arcades of which there's a complete network on the right bank. The ones there tend to be Passage couverts, so closed arcades, but there are also Passage à ciel ouvert, the open ones, which tend to be a little less touristy. They date from the 19th century, the time when shopping became a fashionable activity, and they were the very latest thing in modern architecture when they were built. So iron constructions to hold up the roof, glass roofs on the whole, so that you could walk through in daylight. And from eighteen seventeen onwards, gas lighting, very nouveau, exclusive little places, often with a guard at each end to survey exactly who was coming in and out, and perhaps turn you away if you didn't look as if you were a serious shopper with money to spend. Their heyday was in the eighteen twenties and thirties, very much for impulse buyers, for people with a bit of leisure, wandering round. Perhaps to pick up a book or a pipe or a toy, an umbrella, visit the milliner's perhaps, or maybe stop off in one of the reading rooms or at a cafe or a pâtisserie. There are lots and lots of these places. Look at a map for the words galerie or passage, and to mention just one, the Galerie Vivienne, which is off the rue Vivienne, an absolute work of art in its own right before you even get to the shops along its length. Mosaic flooring, sculptures, palm trees a central atrium with skylit walkways running off it, where you'll find lovely little cafes, specialist wine shops, little boutique full of all sorts of things you didn't know you needed, and enjoy a very Parisian couple of hours. A lot of these passages were cleared away in the 1860s when Ousmane came along with the remit of modernising Paris, sweeping away tiny little streets and building huge boulevards. But we have a glimpse of what they looked like at the time, in a description written in 1868 by the Comte de l'Outremont, who was in fact describing the Galerie Vivienne that I just referred to, and who leaves us with an idea of the glamour and the wonder of the place. Quote, the shops display their riches to wondering eyes. Lit by numerous gas lamps, the mahogany caskets and the gold watches flash dazzling gleams of light through the windows. Yet another Paris institution are the grands magasins, the department stores where the grand perhaps translates more as grand than just plain old big, exclusive, very Parisian. Another idea for a wander that doesn't involve an entry fee and needn't cost you very much unless you get carried away. So to mention a few possibilities, there's Marché in Saint-Germain on the left bank, the oldest department store in Paris, actually the oldest in the world, it's said, which opened in 1852, and of which you can get quite a good impression from extracts from a novel called Albertine, written by Jacqueline Rose. It was published in 2001. Albertine, you may know, is a character from the Proust series, A La Recherche du Temps perdu. and Jacqueline Rose has taken one character, Albertine, out of it and imagined her own story. She's a bit of a shopaholic, so there is a scene in the novel where she goes to the Bon Marché, The Proust works were published in nineteen thirteen, so I guess the author's thinking back and imagining that sort of period. And she describes her character walking into Bon Marché and seeing its vast structure of glass and steel and its thousand chandeliers and its many mirrors, the whole effect being as if you've suddenly come on stage at the theatre and someone's turned all the lights on. There's a nice description of some of the customers, very much making the point that Bon Marché was a shop where everybody mingled. So this is what she wrote. The customers included, the bored, chintz-covered wife of the banker, metal boots clinking on the flagstones, spending his small change, and more, the baron self-consciously flicking back his tailcoat as he retreats into the library for the afternoon, the boa-feathered mistress of the famous writer, who, as part of the deal between them, has lodged her in an apartment with a direct view onto the ladies' fashions from the other side of the street. So there you go, an idea of who was shopping there. And that reference to the library, by the way, reminds us that when these large department stores were first set up, they were not just shops, they did have libraries and restrooms and other leisure facilities. The shop's name, Bon Marché, was originally intended to indicate that things there were good value. But I think these days we are definitely talking more high-end and exclusive. If you fear you won't be able to afford any of the fashion You could always go to the Grande Épicerie, literally the big grocers, which is in an annex on the side of the building, added in the 1920s, and is Paris's fanciest, most extensive food shop. Over on the right bank, up near the Opera, two more of the city's best-known department stores, Galerie Lafayette, built just across the road from the Opera, and in fact modelled on it. It opened in 1908, and at the time, it had a similar grand central staircase to the one that was in the opera house. They wanted it to have impact, to ooze class, seem fashionable. And so it was designed very much in the Art Nouveau style, Metallic roof, stained glass cupola with gorgeous colours, floral motifs everywhere, still there. If you wander in and see that first, you can hardly believe you're in a shop. But you are. There are several floors of fashion. Fancy shoes, think Le Boutin for example, accessories, a perfumery if department, where if you're determined to buy something, perhaps you'll be able to afford a little tin of caviar or a small pack of La Dure Macaroons, which incidentally they will pack for you so you can have exactly the mix of flavours that you wish. And if you don't get lost in Galerie Lafayette for the whole day, then you can always pop along to Printemps, yet another very exclusive department store just up the road, also dating from the early 1900s, another Belle Epoque number also with a spectacular dome, lovely shades of blue and green, and its main cafe just underneath it, so you can order a creme or a little something to eat and enjoy sitting there in those lovely plush surroundings with the shiny mahogany tables. Really a splendid setting for a pit stop. It's no coincidence, I think, that these shops were originally built pretty much in the same era as places like the Grand Palais and the Petit Palais, and they certainly are no less stylish. A large Parisian shopping institution, which is slightly different, is the famous BHV, BHV, which stands for Bazar de l'Hôtel de Ville, so a massive department store just by the Hôtel de Ville, slightly upriver from Notre Dame. It also dates from the 19th century and does indeed have a bazaar-like atmosphere inside. They sell absolutely anything and everything it would seem. You can buy fridges there. If you want a very particular sort of nail or screw for your DIY, they'll have a department selling that. It's absolutely a Parisian institution, more for the Parisians themselves who go there to buy the stuff they need than for the tourists. But I've read quite a few descriptions by baffled foreigners talking about its maze-like interior and its array of mystery objects. And I particularly enjoyed a description written by the writer Adam Gopnik, published in his book Paris to the Moon, a memoir, really, about the time he lived in Paris with his wife and his young children, it was very much the American abroad, trying to find out about the French way of doing everything, and sometimes rather baffled. And one of the things he particularly noticed was the atmosphere in the Baycheve, the Bazaar de l'Hôtel de Ville, where he described the attitude of the sales staff as being a mixture of confidence and arrogance and forthrightness, what he described as American-style straightforwardness, but with one difference. The customer here, he says, is always wrong. And this is his anecdote to prove his point. Quote, we bought a toaster, which promptly shorted out the first time we used it. We brought it back. What did you toast in it? The return man asked. Haughty, for all that he was wearing a regulation oversized checked vest, the uniform of BHV. Raisin Brioche, we answered, honestly. He looked shocked, disgusted, appalled, though not surprised. What did you expect if you put bread with raisins in it, he asked. But he let us have a new one, anyway. I'm afraid I do rather recognise that slightly superior impression given out by many a Parisian shopkeeper, who gives me to understand, usually without actually saying anything, that even though I speak pretty good French, I am a foreigner and don't know what I'm talking about. But we can't possibly end on that note. It doesn't do justice to all the fun you can have wandering around the city of Paris in and out of the shops and just trying your luck in various ways. Paris is definitely a city that takes shopping very seriously. The customers want the best, the shopkeepers accept that and let you use their expertise as long as they think you're a serious customer. And their whole approach is to make sure that everything is always done as the French say, comme il faut, just as it should be. Adam Gopnik is quite good on that as well, so having got possibly a bit fed up in the Bazaar de l'Hôtel de Ville, He tells us, too, about a patissier working in a shop that he frequented quite a lot, who was so wedded to the idea of giving the very best service that she produced it even when the customer was his five-year-old son. Adam Gotnick and his son had been there quite a few times, were therefore valued customers, and this is how he describes the attitude of the lady behind the counter when a cake is finally bought one morning for the little boy. She carefully wraps a chocolate eclair in a little pyramid a ribbon at its apex, knowing perfectly well, all the while, that the paper pyramid and ribbon will endure just long enough for the small boy to rip it open to get to the eclair. It doesn't matter. If you work in a proper French patisserie and you sell one single cake, you wrap it up properly, with a ribbon. You do it, comme il faut. And there's something very nice about that, is there not? So whether you're a frequent shopper or not, I really do think that when you're in Paris, you should treat yourself go browsing in a classy shop, choose a little something, ask to have it done up in a paquet cadeau, or as a gift, and watch the careful folding of pretty paper, the expert curling of little ribbons, and know that you are enjoying a really very Parisian experience. That's it then for Le Shopping, and in next week's episode, going to head off to that other venerable Parisian institution, the café, or the restaurant. I've searched out a few glimpses into the food, the surroundings, the service, all of which, again, as we've just learned in the episode on le shopping, are done comme il faut in that most Parisian of ways. So I hope you will look forward to joining me for that. And for the meanwhile, I'll just sign off by thanking you very much for listening. Merci bien pour l'écoute and wish you well until la semaine prochaine, next week. Au revoir.